Hey, what's up, guys, and welcome to episode 46 of Talk 4, the quickfire podcast where we ask four great questions to unique and interesting people. Behind the mic today is your host, Louis Scoopian. That's me and our incredibly special guest for today, Mark Devine, who's going to be answering some questions today. Mark, please say hi, introduce yourself and give us a quick rundown of who you are and what you do before I shoot some questions. <laughs> hey, Louis. Hey, first, thanks for having me on Talk 4. Super appreciate it. Uh, so, as you mentioned, my name is Mark Devine. Um, I'm a former Navy SEAL, retired as a commander. Um, I, what's unique about my um, approach to living is that um, what drew me into the SEAL teams was a deep practice of meditation. So, I grew up in a small town in upstate New York, but I was introduced to meditation through a Zen master when I was 20 years old, uh, when I went to Manhattan to start my professional career. Completely changed my brain, changed my life, changed my self-concept and uncovered, it helped me uncover my uh, true purpose in life, which was to be a warrior. And uh, upon discovering that, I was shown, uh, you know, some synchronicity kicked in. I was shown the path that I was to take and that led me into the SEAL teams where I was a effective leader and trainer of other SEALs. In, um, and it brought them a lot of unique perspectives and training that many people might think would belong in an elite special forces unit, you know, because they've existed in ancient training systems such as the samurai, you know, or the ninjutsu to train the mind and the spirit along with the body and the tactical skills. But the Western uh, world had really gotten away from that. And so I've helped to bring that back into the special operations, at least here in the United States and elsewhere. And I've been training special operators and now uh, corporate professionals, entrepreneurs, and anyone really wanting to take their, um, their discipline, their mental focus, their concentration, their entire self-concept to a whole nother level. So that's what I do. I threw a company called SealFit and also uh, Unbeatable. Unbelievable. And yeah, I just want to say for the listeners too, that when you start a podcast or something like this, you are the kind of person that you just think, oh my God, one day I just hope to have someone of this caliber, someone so amazing like you on the podcast. Nice. So it's a real, real honor to have you on the podcast today, I have I've spoken to a, a seal before, and um, I mean, you, you're a, you're a retired commander, so it's just so cool. And um, yeah, I just want to say as well, being a longtime fan, I've got two of your books here. Um, if the camera fancies focusing on that, Unbeatable Mind and the uh, the Way of the Seal. So um, I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's just crazy. A few years ago, flicking nice. through those pages and stuff, you just, you you wouldn't think that you'd be uh you'd be on, on the podcast today, but um, I'm so, so glad you are. And um, I've got four fantastic questions <laughs> lined up for you, uh, Mark, today. So um, if you're ready to go, should we jump on to question number one? Go for it. Awesome. So for Let's my first fun. question then, um, tell me about your backstory then. So how did you originally get into the Navy? What was your motivation to do so? And how did it progress to becoming a commander? So, yeah, I, I already alluded to that a little bit. It was really the, um, so let me tell the story a little bit more um, with some more detail. So, you know, I'm a pretty average kid, grew up in that small town, 375 people, uh, grew up in a family that was, you know, gloriously effed up. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of alcohol, a lot of abuse, a lot of anger, you know, and so I spent a lot of time outside in the family and nature. And I think that was really formative for me. Uh, of course, this is, you know, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, so that we didn't have any internet, didn't have any mobile devices to distract us, no video games, so we were quite um, creative with how we spent our time. 
at any rate, so um, because I spent a lot of time outside and I became an endurance sport, that led to an athletic career. I uh, went to a small university in upstate New York called Colgate University, where I was a competitive swimmer and I got into triathlons and rowing. And so then uh, I followed the herd down to Manhattan after when I graduated and got a job with Coopers and Libran, which is a big, you know, now Pricewaterhouse Coopers, a global accounting and consulting firm. And they sent me to NYU to get my business uh, MBA, business degree. So I, there I was, I was following this path that was really laid out for me by my culture, by my, you know, university and by my parents who were business people, you know, I had a, a business that had been around for, you know, over a hundred years. And I was kind of expected to come back and be part of or run that family business someday. So this is all a great story for everybody, including me, you know, I'm going to get my MBA. I was going to become a certified public accountant, which is like a chartered accountant in, in the UK. And I'm going to make a lot of money and great develop great skills. And then maybe come back and run the family business, take it to the next level. All that was fine and good. And uh, what happened is I was looking for something to insert into my day between work and school because I had some time. I had like two hours and uh, I was already running in the morning and going to the gym at lunchtime. And I was keeping up my athleticism. There was part of me that just said, I'm never going to let that go. That was just part of my internal nature. It said, I'm an athlete. I'm a warrior. You know, I was, I didn't really say warrior, but I I just knew that I wasn't ever going to let that go. I wasn't going to go into that long, slow decline that, you know, most people did, especially in those days, physically. So I stumbled upon a martial arts studio and it was just, again, one of those stories like when the student's ready, the teacher appears. It turns out that the grandmaster who was the founder of this whole style of karate was also a Zen master. And so he, he taught us Zen and we practiced before and after every class. And then we had a long, not everyone, but a small group of us did a long Zen sit on Thursday evenings. And this small group would go to the Zen Mountain Monastery in Woodstock, New York for these long four-day retreats. And so I, I took it up as a daily practice once I started to experience the benefits. This is when I was 21, 22 years old. And um, because I really respected this individual and I saw something really different in him than I saw in any, you know, anybody, other, any other human being, you know, I never saw this quality until I met him. And I've since learned to identify it. It was a real grace and a spontaneity and a creativity and a playfulness and really a lightness. At the same time, he was like deadly serious about his art, about his discipline, about his teaching. And uh, this guy was just just an incredible martial artist. I mean, I saw him split six blocks of ice, each of them like a half a um, foot thick with his head. Jesus. In Madison Square Garden as a demonstration. Yeah, (laughs) with his head. And his former... Um, teacher was renowned worldwide for cutting the, you know, cutting the bull off of a charging or cutting the horn off of a charging bull with his hand, just chopping it right off. Yeah. It's the power that I saw that these, that you could accrue through the discipline training of the body and the mind. And I was, I was so inspired by that because I never had any connection with that at all. Again, think about this back in the seventies and eighties, there, there was no internet. There was no YouTube videos about any of this stuff. And there, and there were only three TV shows a week. And I do remember David Carradine's Kung Fu and being kind of interested in that. But it seems so far out there, like inaccessible to me, mm. almost like fantasy. And here I was watching an individual and a bunch of like senior black belts who had extraordinary skills and power and presence. And so it was so interesting to me that I was like, okay, I've got to, I want that. I want to pursue that. So I took it seriously. And I think that's the one thing that, 
you know, people, when it comes to like meditation, they don't really understand the power that can come to them in a, in a good way if they just stick with it. And they're just taught, well, it's got some health benefits or to make you perform a little bit better. And they don't recognize that it's, it's really about taking total control over your, your mind and your life. So I began to experience that, Lewis. And um, when, um, when I began to have like insights and experiences during my meditation that would just completely shatter my, um, the story that I was living, right? And began to deconstruct that whole story. And I recognized, I started to see that my mind was just a, a big uh, construct that had been trained to be a certain way, had been molded a certain way. And meditation uh, gave me the skills and it quite naturally began to deconstruct that story, which was scary at first because suddenly the whole underpinnings of my life became really kind of movable as opposed to terra firma. Mm. And uh, that was, you know, most people don't like that. It's, it's really uncomfortable when you're like, oh my God, you know what I mean? <laughs> Everything that I thought was real maybe isn't so real anymore. And so I started to ask different and better questions and, and to reconstruct a story of my life. And that story was uh, based upon this growing sense that I was a warrior and that I was meant to do something really different, more adventurous, more risky, that I was a leader of people and that that would needed to be kind of my path. And when I started to ask those questions and I got those answers, um, I was revealed the seals, right? They were, they were revealed to me quite um, spontaneously and, and synchronously. So that's what led me into the seals. And I had a pretty extraordinary career, um, found out that what my strength was as a teacher and a trainer, it wasn't so much to be the combatant warrior, you know, and I did go to combat, but it wasn't like some of my peers were, you know, I'm writing books about my heroism in combat, you know, I was really meant to be a teacher and a trainer and to bring these principles to the military, to the special operations to make a more complete warrior and to um, really prepare warriors for a future where we're more aware and, and we need to be more uh, sensitive to others and to be, um, you know, go back to the idea of the warrior being the last resort of violence instead of the first resort. So those are the things that I wanted to teach. Probably enough there. I can kind of pause, but uh, if there's a follow-up question or something. There certainly <laughs> is. <laughs> no, it's, it. it's brilliant. And um, it's it's a really interesting story, actually. And um, and I have to say that the whole the Zen thing, it's it's kind of, it's a weird sort of a, um, it's a weird mix. You wouldn't always associate the sort of the warrior style and Navy SEALs and stuff with something quite like that. But I can totally see how staying calm in the chaos and having something like that can really really yeah. help you get through the experiences and stuff and the meditation i've started meditating recently as well and well it, unless you study if you go for it if you study the ancient arts you see that all the ancient arts the um samurai and the ninjutsu and the um indian warriors and the um even even all the way back to the spartans they all had these internal practices and it was part and parcel of their training. It was just interwoven into their training. Mm. And in the Western world, we just gotten away from, we didn't get away from, we just completely ignored them because we're come from a scientific materialistic background and we don't trust anything that isn't objectively measurable. And so there was none of that training brought into the military and even the special ops. Now, because of the nature of the work, some of that 
contemplative work, some of the, you know, controlled breathing, especially with shoot training or, you know, um, that kind of leaked in a little bit, but not in any formalized training way. But what, what I know from my experience and the experience from me teaching Navy SEALs, like for instance, just from a performance standpoint, when I train Navy SEAL trainees or candidates, 90% of them make it through SEAL training. And, you know, SEAL training is renowned worldwide for being the hardest training in the military and 85 or 90% of everyone who tries fails. So, so I flip, been able to flip the kind of equation on that where 90% of the people who train with me get through. Why is that? Well, you alluded to that. It's because they're in control of their mind and their emotions. They're calm in the face of the most extreme training and chaos created by the instructor cadre. And also they're able to, because of that presence, there's a, there's a sense of humility that accrues from a meditation practice when you really um, stick with it which allows you to really be more focused on the needs of your teammates as opposed to just your selfish needs, you know, your suffering, your um, challenges. And so what you find is that the team, when led by individuals who have these skills, tends to have a lot more capacity to support each other, which has incredible benefits when, when the times are challenging. And it's actually one of the reasons that Navy SEALs are so effective is that they're not in it for themselves. They're actually there to support and, and ensure that the team is, is the one that's the successful. The team is the unit. Mm-hmm. The team is the leader. And so these practices really kind of unlock that potential and that, and that capability. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And the way I, I kind of like to see it is almost like a tree. It's the roots are everything that's going on inside your head and that and they have to be strong that has to be the starting point for the tree to survive and for things to flourish outside of it and from the visual side of things you've got to you've got to master your mind you've got to master your emotions and then you can start to to work on the things outside of that so I totally see exactly where you're coming from with that and um but yeah, so um, to move on to my second question now, leading on really nicely from there. Um, so after the military, what was it like coming down from such a high intensity life in the SEALs and integrating back to normal society? And um, can you tell me the story of how you came to write your books and what your journey was post-military? Sure thing. It is a challenge. And there's a lot of um, special operators, especially soft guys, but you know, it's because it happens in all the units um, who have difficulty transitioning. And it's Largely because this, uh, a couple things. One is the team, as I mentioned, is you develop a, a bond that is, it can only be described as love. It's a different type of love. You know, we're, we love our teammates so much that we're willing to die for them. That's incredible, right? That's rare. And suddenly you leave that behind. And oftentimes, you know, you leave those teammates behind and then you kind of miss that bond dearly. And secondarily, in the military, you have a mission and you're really clear about what that mission is. And you, you align your, uh, orient your why or your own purpose toward that mission because you've chosen it and, it and it's, and it's aligned with you and it's meaningful to you. And then suddenly when you get out of the service, like all of a sudden you're like, okay, what's my mission? And you don't really have a clear sense of that. You haven't really thought about that. And so that becomes problematic because, you know, everyone needs a mission, a reason for existence, something to fire them up and motivate them every day. So you really have to reconstruct, you have to go through another one of those periods of deconstruction of all the the platform and everything that you thought was reality. And now you have to reconstruct a new reality. And that's difficult to do without some guidance and some coaching and some tools. And um, so my, my transition, I went from the SEALs and 
I left active duty, but I stayed in the reserves. So I, I actually got into my business career and, and even wrote these books while I was still in the reserves or the books. Yeah, they actually, the first few books came while I was in the reserves, right as I was transitioning out as a uh, commanding and retiring as a commander in 2011. But I got off active duty earlier around uh, some, a little bit before 2000, 2001. And so the reserves gave me a little taste of, you know, that team camaraderie. So once a month I could connect with my guys. So it was really helpful for me. And I went into business though, and I found, um, I started a company, a brewing company, a microbrewery, you know, and um, this is the early in the beginning of the, you know, craze of microbrewery craze in the United States, where we were trying to make beer that tasted as good as Guinness, <laughs> because all we had was Coors and Budweiser, and it was terrible. A tough challenge. <laughs> it was a tough challenge, I know. So uh, we wanted to catch up to you, Brits. <laughs> and anyways, so we started, I started this microbrewery and I went into business with my brothers-in-law and these guys were, you know, Southern California boys, non-military, never been to college and, you know, good looking, but boy, this, they had a radically different value set than I had. And this is where I uh, noticed another thing that was really challenging, right? In the SEAL teams, there's a tremendous amount of diversity of the individuals, all sorts of races and, and sizes and colors. And yet we are all radically homogeneous in our alignment to the mission and to the team and to the value set. So we all shared, even though we had different values in a lot of areas, we shared a select set of values that allowed us to be completely aligned around our mission team and our teamingness. When I got out and I went into the civilian world and I started this business, there was no homogeneity of value set. And, uh, and I didn't really understand how important it was to spend the preponderance of our time really uh, aligning around vision and values and a, and a core mission for the business. And we talked about it and I wrote it in the business plan, but it wasn't, the SEALs take years to develop that alignment. And I didn't, we, we took maybe an hour or two. And so that led to a great breach in trust between myself and my two partners who were my teammates, because we were just living in completely different worlds when it came to what our minds believed to be reality and what values we were living and what you know, what our belief systems were. And, and that was such a powerful lesson for me that in the civilian world, and you got to spend a lot of time and energy really creating that shared vision, that shared experience and the shared values with the people that you work with, or you're going to end up with really suboptimal results or flat out failure. Whereas in the military, a lot of that was just handed to us. It just kind of happened. It was there. It was there for us. We didn't really have to think about it. I've made this comment before, but I found it much easier to lead in the SEALs in the military than in the civilian world because of this issue, because of all the work that the organization did to select for that homogeneous value set, to train people and, and to, you know, just basically to discard or evict individuals who didn't really have this, the um, attributes of an excellent teammate, of someone deeply committed to the mission, someone really skilled, someone committed to growing every day. All these things we kind of took for granted. And so it was easy to lead. It's easy to lead a group of an elite people aligned as a team toward, toward a mission. It's much harder to corral a bunch of cats and dogs off the street and say, hey, join my mission, join my team, you know, start this business. Most of them are in it for the, the payday. And, you know, some of them are aligned and, and, it's, and you got to spend a tremendous amount of time really um, defining and, and aligning around that shared vision and then, then sharing the experience of working toward that vision together and failing together. Mm, yeah, I totally see exactly what you mean there. And 
they are worlds apart the two worlds of business and military and stuff but there's definitely some like i mean like you like you say in the books there's so many principles to apply to to life everyday life and with the stuff sure. that you know that can definitely help in in business and mm-hmm. and, and with any ventures especially sport as well I, I got so much out of out of your book way of the seal when i was playing tennis a few years ago and yeah. honestly it's it, it made a massive massive difference to my performance and just how i i, I saw things and how i approach challenges but um this yes. does actually lead really well to, to my third question as well um and I'd love to know what you feel were some of the most ben- beneficial military practices and lessons that you learned that helped you succeed in the world of business and, and writing books and stuff. Well, it's a really good question. I have to admit, you know, there, there are some, obviously like the way of the seal, it's, it's kind of a trick because it was the way of me. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. the way of this seal. Because again, the seals weren't teaching box breathing and meditation and visualization and you know developing your stand. A lot of that stuff was just um, not spoken of. And now, because of our work with Unbeatable Mind and SealFit, it is actually being formally trained. Because the seals have seen since uh, 2006 when I started teaching this stuff how powerful it is and how important it is. So, but but there are certain principles that are are really important from a leadership perspective that translate to the business world. And one of them is this idea of failure. The SEALs had a saying that failure is not an option. And a lot of people mistook that to be that, you know, you couldn't fail as a fail safe environment. And so um, that would lead to risk aversion. And it's the exact opposite. What we meant by that is we are, um, we're biased toward risk because, because we expect to fail. So the idea of failure is not an option, but failure is certain. And so we don't shy from it. We, we move toward the obstacles so that we can find the fastest way around it. We can figure out how to break it as quickly as possible so that we can improve upon the process or the skill or the tactic to get the mission accomplished. So we embrace failure. We embrace the challenge, the bigger, the better. And we try to fail forward fast. That's a really powerful concept for those in the business world now who are experiencing what we would call that VUCA world in the military, which has now become a more like almost a leadership principle. And that is how do you navigate volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity? Well, you do it by, by failing forward as fast as possible. And you do it by um, making sure that the team is the, 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 the locus of control for decision-making. So it's not the leader who's trying to make all the decisions and has all the right ideas. In fact, we found that the leader is often the one that's the obstacle to the best thinking from the team. And if you can get the team synchronized to where the team has this like hive mind and they're operating at a, uh, at a synchronized level because everyone is harmonized in their alignment to the vision, the mission, the values, and they're working hard together and they have that, that trust, that deep level of trust, then you get spontaneous creativity that's, you know, we say 20 times more powerful than what any individual can come up with. And I think that's a lesson that I learned in the SEALs. Like, wow, there's a reason the SEALs are so damn effective. And it's because of that, the synchronization of the team so that you get that 20x creativity and, the, and power. And it's far greater than, you know, the, the sum of 10 or 12 individuals working together. It's like logarithmic. So true, so, yeah. So those are some of the really important uh, aspects. It's like, 
go toward the failure, increase your level uh, tolerance for risk. But in order to do that effectively, you've got to take a mindset where you are constantly training. You're training your mind, training your body, you're training the team. So when you're not like producing in the sealed parlance, that would be executing a mission. What are you doing? You're training, you know? And most people in the corporate world are, don't look at it like that. They, they, they are doing a project or, or a process work. Um, and training is something that happens once in a while, right? Randomly or just once a year, or if you would, you know, get permission to go to take a course, whereas the SEALs are always training. It's, it's pretty much part and parcel of their, of their job. So to bring this mindset into your work and into your day where you, you're doing training, you know, like I was talking about my morning ritual, you know, my morning ritual includes box breathing and meditation and visualization and then yoga and then, then high intensity interval workout. That's training. And then throughout the day, I take little moments to train, to train my mind and to train my body and, and to integrate and to be able to see clearly. Right. And so we do this also as a team in my company and we teach this. That's what I mean. So we're always training your body, your mind, your spirit. You're always training to be more effective as a team. And that is essential in this business world that we're in today because you, you're always becoming something that is going to be effective as the world's changing rapidly around us, right? There is no, there is no status quo. There's no, there's no there to get to anymore, right? There's no there. There's no place you can get where you can just cruise anymore like you could in the industrial age. You know, you, you work hard and you get up the corporate ladder and then you kind of cruise and, and the decision and the processes are all kind of second nature for you. It's kind of like getting tenure at a college, you know, now you've delivered the course a few times and it's, it's pretty easy for you and you're on cruise control and you don't have to worry about anything. That doesn't fly in the business world, especially for entrepreneurs. You know, there's always going to be someone trying to disrupt you or some new technology that'll disrupt you. So you got to constantly be changing, constantly be evolving, constantly be growing. Such good points. Really, really powerful. I, to I totally agree. And now that I'm thinking about it more, I can really see so many similarities in how how to be effective in the business world that you would take from from the military and one of them has got to be what you said and that's just communication and and teamwork and you can't you can't do things all on your own you're going to have weaknesses you're going to have strengths and stuff but if you can build a team and have trust with them and good communication it goes such a long way in the, in the business world for sure and um right I tell you what, just some, something I want to ask, just just from the fan, just from the fans' perspective, um, I, I, I really wanted to ask this at the start. Um, so when when kind of doing my research and you and stuff, and obviously I've got the book here. Um, th there's there's a wolf on, on the front cover. You've got a book right. with with a wolf in the title and stuff as well. And wolves are my favorite animal by a country nice. mile. Um, and I, I just I just want to ask, what's what's the meaning behind it? And um, I don't know if I missed it in the books or something, but um, why wolves and why is it on the covers and stuff and, and then in titles? What does it mean to you? I love wolves too. Um, ironically, my um, this isn't why the wolf is on the cover, but I actually didn't appreciate this until years later that my first pet was a um, half Malamute husky, half wolf, and she was white with blue eyes. Her name was Folly. She couldn't bark. She howled and sang to us and just an extraordinary. She was so loyal. She was like my guardian. And um, she lived for 18 years and then passed on. Well, anyways, so when I started teaching these skills and I was teaching Navy SEALs, you know, a lot of the skills that I'm teaching, you know, found their roots in, in you know, Eastern martial arts and, and traditions like yoga and also um, kind of depth psychology. And 
when I first started teaching, um, you know, I, I was using that language and, and the Navy SEAL trainees who are 18 to 25 years old were like, you know, crossing their eyes and just like, oh my God, you know, what are we talking about here? And so I realized that I had to kind of be a little bit, you know, take a, a, a cue from like Jesus. And I had to teach in parables and stories and, and I had to simplify the language around these practices, these skills and, and to create, like codify them as like Navy SEAL drills, you know, kind of like the way I did in the way of the SEAL. So box breathing, you know, I couldn't call it the ancient art of pranayama, which came out of, you know, the Indian Vedic yoga tradition. So I, I just simplified it. I said, we're going to, we're going to call this box breathing. And I gave them the very practical definition for what it is and why it's useful to develop a calmness, to, to de-stress your body and to clear your mind so that you can make better decisions under pressure, which looks a lot like better decisions under, you know, when you're a SEAL trainee or in combat. Well, and, and another thing that I tried to teach was the importance of, of positive internal dialogue and, and developing a positive mental state. And I didn't want to use the language of positive psychology which, you know, has kind of like a, a woo-woo, uh, you, know, um, you know, law of attraction kind of feel to it, right? Like, uh, you know, it's, it's entered into the kind of popular language through, through the movies um, and through um, like The Secret and, and things like that. And so I was like, I'm, I, this is a really powerful uh, tool. And so I want to use metaphoric language and I want to really kind of penetrate why, the why behind it's important to be positive and have a positive dialogue and, and it has a, a team to maintain positivity. And so, and I studied as much as I could about the energetic body system and uh, got into the work of Dr. Davy Hawkins and, and I, you know, I came across uh, during this work. So I came up with this idea that, you know, that most of the negative thinking is resides in your brain. It's, it's, it's mental, it's mentalization from your left hemisphere, rational mind, which is always stuck in the future or past. And so you're obsessing about, past decisions or you're fretting about a future that hasn't happened and that leads to negative loops negative patterns and um and then i was like very intrigued by stories of people who would open their heart and use you know loving kindness meditation and suddenly they're they're living in a very very different state of mind very positive very open very compassionate very loving it was about that time that i stumbled upon the native american story of the wolves right and the way it was told or i learned it was the grandpa you know the grandfather elder was you know talking to the kids and telling them that there were two wolves that reside in their body metaphorically one resides in their head and the other resides in their heart and it, and it was the wolf of fear who resides in the head and it was the wolf of courage that resides in the heart and the guys and the elder says and these two wolves are always fighting for control over you and one of the kids asked well you know which one wins in the long run? And the grandfather says, well, the one that you feed the most. <laughs> That's so, so good. Oh my God, I love that. Isn't that a great metaphor for if you, if you constantly feed fear with negative thinking, with negative dialogue, with negative emotions, with negative people, with negative news, the catastrophizing, the, all the, with negative food even, then you're feeding that and you're reinforcing that and you're becoming that. You're, you're attracting it into your life and you're actually becoming that. And your life is going to be full of fear and it's going to be really heavy, dark energy and you're going to be negative. But if you can starve that by shutting off news, by cutting out the negative people in your life and by 
rewiring your thinking, overriding the negative with positive thinking, and also routing out the negative um, meaning that you've attached to past events and routing out any negative fear you have about the future by creating a more positive vision for your future, then suddenly what happens is you, you start to open your heart, right? You're now feeding courage. So you feed courage by starving the fear and opening up your heart and being more kind. And so gratitude practice, in, you know, having positive internal dialogue, speaking kindly to yourself, speaking kindly to other people, all of that starves the fear and feeds courage. And so then courage wins over time because you're starving, feeding fear, starving fear, feeding courage. And then that becomes the default mode instead of the fear. And once you open that heart and you, and you fed the courage and that wolf has won, then there's no going back. It's just continuing to, to feed courage and open that. Interestingly, the word courage means heart in French or core. Core is a French root for the word heart. And so courage is really feeding the heart or opening the heart or bringing your heart into your actions. That's courage. So that's it. You know, I, I was so inspired by this story that the, um, I put the image on my self-published book, Unbeatable Mind, and it's basically me staring down the wolf of fear and feeding courage. I love courage. that. That is so powerful. Honestly, I, I, when, when, you, when you told me that analogy, my mind was literally blown because I just love that so much. It's brilliant. And because it's about wolves as well, that's just... That's just bonus points into the whole thing. But that's right, exactly. I'll, I'll tell you what, um, that, that certainly satisfies the question. And I, <laughs> that, that's just brought so much more meaning to that cover for me now. I absolutely love it. Um, well, in fact, my, my fifth book that I put the title is Staring Down the Wolf. Yes, I saw it on and, the website. And, and, um, and so that came from my, I had someone helping me, was interviewing me and kind of turning around first draft. And the book was originally going to be kind of more formulated called The Seven Commitments at least that forge elite teams that became the subtitle. And after the fourth chapter, he turns around the draft and it, and the title was staring down the wolf and he had gotten it from the cover of the other book. And, and I was like, wow, I love that. You know, I had to do some recontextualization of the whole book, but it's pretty cool. And that the whole idea there is that leaders need to stare down their wolf of fear in order to open their hearts to their team, open their, you know, um, unblock really what's blocking their team because leaders are often like i said earlier the limiting factor in their team success because they bring judgmentalism and righteousness and their biases and uh, they don't recognize how that shuts their teammates down or the or their subordinates mm. and so it leads to lack of authenticity lack of vulnerability lack of psychological safety but when you can stare down your own fear and open up to your awesomeness and and open up your heart then all of a sudden your, your teammates begin to experience that deep level of connection and care. And you, you know, you kind of step out of that role as being the perfect one or the anointed one or the better one as a leader, which a lot of people, a lot of leaders think they have to kind of, you know, project that they're perfect and they've got all the answers and they, they don't suffer and they don't, you know, they're not weak. That's taught, especially to men and subtly in our cultures. And it's bullshit, right? Cause everyone has weaknesses. Everyone has you know, suffering, everyone has challenges. So your teammates and your family, they need to see that uh, realness in you as a leader in order for there to be great trust. Otherwise they think you're just wearing a mask. Mm. 
Totally. And oh, I'm so glad I, I'm so glad I got to ask this. I, I saw it in the title. I saw it on the cover. I thought, hang on a minute, something going on here. I've got to ask him. I need to find out. And uh, no, I'm, I'm so glad I got I got to ask. And uh, thank you for that amazing answer. And um, so for my fourth and final question, Mark, um, this is going to be a good one. Um, it, it, it's big. So where does success come from in the military in business in book writing in life you've succeeded on all fronts can't be a coincidence so i want to ask you what is it that creates success in the person and for someone who's listening that is not where they want to be what should they focus on to get to get back on top or get on top well that was easy for me um success is found within I think the, the challenge that people have is they're looking for it out there, looking th- for it in a, in, you know, rising up a career track or a corporate ladder or the size of their bank account or the size, you know, the size of their house or the, how good looking they look or, or how pretty their girlfriend is or how many kids they have and, you know, whether they go to the right schools. And invariably, you know, focusing on those external things, it, it could bring momentary happiness. It can, it can make you proud. But it's not going to lead to the, the type of success that, you know, at the end of your life, you look back and you're like, I have absolutely no regrets because I did exactly what I was meant to do, what I was called to do. And I served in a way that was radically meaningful to me. And I really helped people. Like I helped people. I, I did something important, even if it's just for one person. And so the success to me, the meaningful success that everyone's really looking for is experienced as contentment as peace of mind, as equanimity or balance, as no regrets, right? As the type of happiness, which is just the type of happiness that says I'm, I'm okay and you're okay and we're okay. And it is one that has a very positive and abundant future vision and, uh, and is okay to be right here right now and, and just, you know, be playful and spontaneous and creative. That's success to me. Now, if those other things follow like this, they have followed in my life. Um, once I really aligned around this idea and said, you know what? Success for me is not how many books I sell. It's just basically be able to share a message. And if I can do that effectively through writing or through this, my podcast or through speaking, that's great. And even that, sometimes I still resist the, the process and the work. Um, because, you know, you're always going to find resistance in putting work out in the world because, you know, that's why they call it work. But as long as you're doing it for the right reasons, then, then ultimately the entire process is joyful and, and um, the results will then follow based upon the quality of the service that you deliver. That's so powerful. I love it. And yeah, like you said, feed the courage wolf. And oh yeah, that's just so good. And the, the last thing that I just want to ask you now, you've you've done so many incredible things. You've written these amazing books. You've got sealed fits and you're giving this amazing advice you've got the podcast got everything going on all i want to ask you right now is just what's next for you what 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 have you got in the pipeline what's planned what can we expect to see from mark divine in the future from now yeah that's a good question well i'm working on my phd in global leadership and change because i i i'd like to take these principles and scale them up a little bit more through my podcast through you know reaching more people again i I know that's going to be just for the integrity of my words and the power of our conversations. But um, our goal, mine and my company's goal is through our teachings to bring 100 million people onto the path of training their mind, body and spirit to reintegrate and to be 
uh, evolve their consciousness to be more positive and then, and then be the change we want to see in the world at scale. Because so I believe that, you know, there's a very positive future ahead of us, but we're going to go through some bumpy roads because we're, you know, the old power structures are really negative. This is why there's so much violence and, and, uh, and strife in the world. And they do a lot of harm. And uh, those structures are breaking down and because consciousness is evolving. People are getting more positive. They're having these conversations like we're having. Um, and so I want to teach people how to be strong, mentally strong, and also fully autonomous and free, not needing anybody or anything or any system or any government, right? And to, um, to take, back that, take back their power, essentially, but not to do it with violence, not to do it by fighting back. You know, not to do it with taking up arms or anything like that, but but just through evolution of consciousness and vibrating at a much higher level at scale. And, and there's a tipping point. It doesn't have to be 10% of the global population, probably more like 1%. If we get 1% of the global population thinking at a high level, at an integrated level, where they're very high vibration, universal love, and sharing these stories and sharing a vision for the future that is very positive and uh, brings power back to the 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 people in a decentralized manner instead of like a ridiculously centralized totalitarian technocracy, which is really what's kind of being, you know, foisted upon us. And so that's going to create a lot of pushback, but also the way through that is through consciousness. You know, it's, it's, it's being the change we want to see at scale. That's what, that's what I'm doing. So that means more books. I'll finish my doctorate. I'll continue to, you know, the, the, the Mark divine show will, continue for a while, but I think I'll evolve that to where more I can just have conversations instead of like interview the latest author or something like that. I like to enjoy this conversation is fun, you know, and I think that's really important. So I, I'm not sure how that'll evolve. I, I open to ideas, but more of that and my business, I'm trying to get the businesses structured so they can thrive kind of without me because, you know, I want those organizations to be kicked out of the nest and, and to thrive. And, um, I need to move on from any operational role because just uh, time, you know, it's not yeah. my passion either. <laughs> Fair enough. And no, that's so powerful. I, I can't wait to see the stuff that you're coming out with. And um, I'm just saying it. If, if a new book comes out anytime soon, I want my name on the shipping address for that very first copy. I'm, I'm gonna, I, I, want, I want to, I, I really want to. I'm working on that. On so that. I've got a book that I've been toying with for a few years. It's called Uncommon. And it really is the sequel to Unbeatable Mind. So uh, hopefully you'll, you'll get a copy. I'll, be, I'll bring it out in the spring of next year. Oh, I'm excited. So that that's going to be on my calendar. But um, anyway, Mark, that is our four questions done for today. And before we wrap this up, it is time for what I love to call the shameless plug. So Mark, feel free to take a minute and promote anything that you're working on. You want people to take a look at or mm -hmm. just something that you believe in. Well, I tell you what, if anyone out there really is into training their body and mind at an elite level, then Seal Fit is a great choice for you. We've had tons of people come from the UK and from Europe. So sealfit.com, we run um, crucibles, which are these intense like hell week, physical, mental, emotional team challenges. And then we're running these quests next year, which are 90 day challenges around um, physical and mental training, um, the whole unbeatable mind integrated training, and also the inner development of the warrior spirit, and then how to be sheepdog strong. So four quests each quarter of next year, go to sealfit.com to learn more. And if you just want to learn more about my books or speaking, 
Um, markdevine.com, my, my personal website is a great place to learn more there. Fantastic stuff. And guys, I can only recommend these books enough. I'm going to make sure to leave a, a link to it all in the description. So make sure to click on that and have a look. Grab a book. It's fantastic stuff packed with useful, applicable information for life from a true legend from the SEALs, Mark Devine here. But hey, Mark, thank you so much for joining me today for the Talk 4 podcast. This has been an absolute pleasure having you on. Yeah, my pleasure. It's been awesome and I appreciate you for having me. Awesome. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah indeed. I love it. <laughs> right. So, guys, thank you for listening. This has been episode 46. We are really hitting onto that big 50 soon. And um, if you'd like to listen to our past episodes, go and have a look at our channel. And if you'd like to listen in for our future ones, make sure to hit that subscribe button and spread some love by leaving a like and a comment. Signing off for now.